have a great question that I want to ask you in this podcast. This is a fantastic question that will help you to really examine how you think about this idea of disciple-making. But first, let me set it up this way. This question is only for believers. This question is only for Christians, those who have been born again. God has regenerated you. Now, because He has regenerated you, you are a biblical counselor. You're a Christian counselor. You're a discipler. You're a disciple-maker. You're going out. You're making disciples. You're one-anothering However you want to think about that, you're a biblical friend. All of those labels fit nicely into one term. It's called being a Christian. Therefore, you're doing the work of discipleship. Now, with that in mind, here's the question that I want to ask you, and I would love for you to immediately, I mean, just think, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you this question? Here it is. Someone comes to you with a disorder, and they ask you for their help. Someone comes to you, they have a disorder, or maybe they know someone who has a disorder, and they want to talk to you. They're looking for your help. How would you respond? What's going through your mind right now? Are you ready for the task and you're willing to jump in and you want to help this person? Or did you disqualify yourself just now thinking, oh my, I don't know how to help a person with a disorder? Well, I want to say that, oh yes, you do. And I want to talk about it in this podcast. I want to demystify it. And I also want to give you some practical help when you think about this issue of having a disorder. This is episode 221. This is the Life Over Coffee podcast. And I am Rick Thomas. Thank you for joining me for this episode. If you want to read what I'm going to share with you, I would love for you to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for the Life Over Coffee podcast, and you're looking for episode 221. The title of it is, When Someone Asks You to Help with Their Disorder. If you want to do a deeper dive into this subject, I would love for you to do it. So I have a lot of links here, and you could spend days, literally, you could spend weeks studying this out, especially if you get with someone and really talk it through. This could be a fantastic opportunity for you. It will be stimulating. It could be life-changing, and it will definitely equip you as you do the work that Christ has called all of his children to do is to go out and make disciples. Episode 221, when someone asks you to help them with their disorder, the disorder question will continue to grow in popularity. Whether someone is asking for themselves or, or someone else, I am pretty sure that you have been in a conversation where someone was talking about disorders or someone was asking you a question about disorder. It is inescapable. And how you answer someone who comes to you with a disorder, it depends on your worldview. Now, to simplify, there are only two worldviews. Either you have a secular worldview or you have a biblical one, and this is your starting point. This is a watershed issue, like a watershed at the top of the mountain. You release the water. It will either go in one direction or the other, but not both. 
And so your worldview will determine how you think about this idea of disorder and how you respond to those who are coming to you for help. Do you know which worldview you have? And do you know why it matters? Before I get into all of that, I do want to say that the problems that people are describing with the label disorder, whatever the disorder may be, that's the label. But the problem is very real. And we, you want to be careful that when someone comes to you and they 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 label it wrong, you don't want to you you don't want to impulsively dismiss them because even though they may label the issue wrongly, it doesn't mean that the problem is not real. It's like a child trying to tell you that something is happening, but the child doesn't know what to call what is happening. They may name the problem that they are observing improperly, but what they can see, what they can feel, what they can experience, that part is legit. Now, you'll see this scenario play out when someone, when someone says they have a disorder or they're asking a question about disorders. The problem that they are asking about, whatever it may be, that's not the issue, What they are seeing, feeling, experiencing, observing, that's not the issue. That's very much real. It's the label that they use to describe the problem, of course. If they're using the wrong label, then they will take the wrong direction in trying to offer help to someone. A typical label in the secular world comes in the form of an acronym, like ADD, ADHD, OCD, OCDP, ODD, PTSD, and so forth. Ad infinitum. You can do a lot, you can create a lot of acronyms with 26 letters of the alphabet. All of those letters, and you have to hear this, they point to real problems. And that's why you don't want to dismiss the question or the questioner. Because they used an acronym rather than biblical nomenclature. Now, ideally, it would be best to use Bible language, but we don't live in a biblically literate culture. And to complicate matters, the secular world has done a much better job than Christians with their indoctrination practices. Sadly, Christians react to the culture's encroachments poorly rather than logically engaging the problems with wisdom. For example, you'll hear them splitting hairs between the label biblical counseling and Christian counseling as as though they are winning something. I'll, I'll read this somewhere like on Facebook and part of me smiles because they're, we Christians, we split, we re-split. We re-re-split our hairs so that we have perfect fine-tuning on our wordsmithing. Meanwhile, the secular culture is training our brothers and sisters in their way of thinking about soul issues. And while we are splitting our hairs, they are winning the war. And so part of me smiles when I, when I hear about the splitting and the re-splitting and the re-re-splitting. But part of me, most of me is sad. It's like, come on, people. We can do better than this. Come on, Christians. 
My point is that we must stop playing whack-a-mole because the inquirer did not frame their question with exegetical precision. We need to take them where they are. Isn't that the heart of all discipleship? Just as you are. That's how Christ took us. Imagine you come to Christ the first time in salvation, and you ask him, uh, I asked Jesus into my heart. You didn't say it correctly. No, Jesus takes us just as we are. And that's what we want to do when people come to us. And so we take them where they are and begin a creative process of helping them to see and to respond to things biblically. And so when someone comes to you with an acronym, it's okay, because the problem is real, no matter what they call it. Now, as you refrain from the temptation to shoot their unbiblical acronyms from the sky, you want to help them to see, to process, to respond with biblical filters. When it comes to psychology, there are only two competing worldviews, secular psychology and biblical psychology. The word psychology simply means the study of the soul. The world thinks they can study the soul better than Christians can, and so they give us the DSM-5, which used to be the 4, the 3, the 2, and the 1. There will be a DSM-6, of course. Christians believe, I believe, that we can study the souls, do psychology better than the culture, and we have the Bible. And as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for these four things, for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the people of God, may be complete, equipped for, equipped for every good work. Thus, with compassion and patience, you want to listen to what they are saying, because once you can get past and not get hung up on the acronym that they're dropping in front of you, what you're going to hear, they will describe to you what is happening. And as they are doing this, carefully repeat their descriptors of the problem back to them. Using biblical language, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Someone comes to you with a typical ADHD individual. Now, you're not hung up on the label. Who cares? But what you're listening to is the problem, which is very real. And so rather than admonishing them for using a worldly acronym, what if you listen to them talk about what is happening you start drawing the sincere and concerned person out about what is happening with the ADHD individual. Individual, What you're looking for is the language that they are using to describe the problem. Now, in this common scenario of someone coming to you with an ADHD individual, they may talk about the child, for example, being impulsive. Impulsive means they are reacting virtually without restraint. That's what re impulsivity is. They are, they are acting without restraint, no self-control. One of the most common ways that you'll see a person acting, being impulsive, is angry outburst. Anger is 
one of the most common problems that all of us have. We get angry from time to time. And anger, as you begin to back it up, you'll see impulsivity. Of course, you back it up further into biblical nomenclature, what you will see is, is self-control. Now, they may also say that, that the person is compulsive. This is different. Compulsive, which is doing things repeatedly, like playing a video game or picking up your iPhone every five minutes. That is compulsive behavior. Now, in these two short descriptors, what they have revealed to you is a wealth of biblical information. I want to give you a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. I want to give you a list of eight things that that person just told you when they began to describe what they labeled as ADHD behavior. And then they talked about the child being impulsive. They talked about the child being compulsive. And you begin to bring that into a biblical worldview. You run it through a biblical filter, and you will come out with at least these eight things. Of course, you will come out with more, but this is a 30-minute podcast, and so I'm not going to give you a long list of all the things that they said in this short descriptor. Here's one, addiction. They're talking about an addiction. The individual has a sinful habit. An addiction is a sinful habit, which takes you to what Paul said about addictive behavior in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, or in 2 Corinthians 6, where he talked about things not having dominion over us. In Galatians 6, 1, you know the passage well. That's where Paul talked about if any person is caught in a transgression, what this person just described to you is that the ADHD person is caught. They have addictive behavior. The second thing, self-control, or in this case, a lack of self-control. Impulsive and compulsive behaviors are a lack of self-control, which the Bible talks about in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. Or 2 Timothy 1.7. I have these links here, and if you hover over the links on our website, you'll get a pop-up box, and you can read the verses right from the page of the website that you are reading. And so part of what is going on here is an addictive behavior. Part of it is a lack of self-control. Number three, part of it is lust. Bad habits, addictive behavior, are selfish and self-centered in nature rather than other-centered. And so I use the word lust instead of love. Love has an outward, other-centered quality to it. Lust has a self-centered, inward quality to it. The person has chosen to satisfy himself more than loving God and loving others, as we read in Matthew 22, which is, again, lust is a distorted view of love. And so we have an addiction problem, a lack of self-control problem. We have a lust problem. We also have a control problem. Now, this is different from self-control. Angry outburst, for example, is a manipulative attempt to control his world, which, by the way, controlling his world, which means controlling others. 
And so not only is there a lack of self-control, but there is a desire to control, and that's what anger does. When some, You'll see this in, in homes where a person gets angry as a manipulative measure to try to control his universe, and so everybody stands down. The parent gives the child what he wants because of his angry outburst, and if you continue to do that, you will reinforce this addictive behavior. And so we have addiction, we have self-control, we have lust, we have control— by the angry outburst. And then number five, we have self-righteousness. Anyone who manifests anger in the way that I have been describing here is self-righteous. And I say that because you cannot be angry with someone without elevating yourself above someone so that you can berate them. You can look at anger like this. It's like when you get angry, you stand up in a chair and you're looking down on someone. The only way that you can be sinfully angry at someone is by being elevated above them, which is what self-righteousness means. And so the angry outbursts communicate a self-righteous attitude. Then we have comfort. The person who wants to control his world, well, it's obvious he's seeking comfort. There is something broken or uncomfortable inside of him, and he wants to change this. He does this with anger and addictive behavior. And so you have addiction, self, lack of self-control, lust, control, self-righteousness, comfort. And then number seven, you have fear. It becomes obvious that the person is fearful. And out of a heart of fear comes all sorts of manipulative measures to compensate and mask his insecurities, which is a synonym for fears. And then finally, number eight, what this comes down to is unbelief, a person who is unwilling to trust God. The juxtaposition here is God-reliance versus self-reliance. Self-reliance is functional unbelief. This type of person has a non-existent or an ineffective relationship with God. Of course, you want to find out why he chooses worldly methods, as I have been describing here, to feel better about himself rather than enjoying the pleasures of God. And so in this short conversation that you have with this person as they are describing the ADHD individual You begin to take what they're describing, and you run it through the filter of Scripture, and you come out with these biblical labels and true uh, uh, descriptors of what is happening with the person. And when the Christian discipler begins to see the common sense and sophistication of the Bible, you will begin to offer hope to the struggling person or the struggling inquirer. And rather than attacking them because they did not wordsmith the problem correctly, they can add to the hope given by providing the biblical solutions. You're working the problem, not attacking the label. And at that point, they will listen to everything that you have to say, and they will begin adopting your more precise and accurate language in addition to your wise solutions. The way that you can bring them to this kind of biblical thinking, you could say something like the following. Here's something that you could say. When you said that your child had ADHD, I was not sure what you meant. But when you began to describe his behavior, I saw these biblical themes running through his life that brought the clarity I needed to understand what is happening inside of him. 
Do you see how thinking biblically is so helpful? Things like a lack of self-control, lust, anger, self-righteousness, fear, unbelief, they get to the heart of the matter. Do you agree? But if you take a shot at them with the first words out of their mouths, because they labeled it incorrectly, you will not just lose them, but you will push them from the hope and help that the Bible offers. Too many disciple-makers demand that we present our problems accurately before we will help them. Contrarywise, if, if you help them first, they will learn to describe their issues accurately or biblically. The title of the podcast is When Someone Asks You to Help With Their Disorder. This is episode 221. I do want to add one more part before I wrap up this podcast, and it is simply this. Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated when someone comes to you with a problem, especially when they use acronym language, DSM language, scientific language, psychological language. One of the problems that happen when Christians hear the DSM language from those seeking their help, I call it the intimidation effect. And that's why I'm saying to you, don't be intimidated. The Christian quickly disqualifies himself from the potential redemptive process that they could insert themselves in because they too have bought into the scientific model not just the individual who's coming to you and using these psychologized, secularized, scientific labels, but you also disqualify yourself because you have bought into the same scientific, so-called scientific model. That's why I ask you at the top of the podcast, when I ask you this question, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I know that many of you, when I ask the question, how would you help someone who comes to you with a disorder, I know that most of you disqualified yourself. You quickly disqualified yourself from the redemptive process because you have bought into the so-called scientific model. Ironically, though this type of disciple-maker, will, they will spout Bible sufficiency like a mantra. But as soon as, soon as someone drops an acronym on them, they go mute. Science wins, so-called science wins, because the believer cannot look past the fancy letters, and it does not occur to them to ask more questions specifically about what is happening. Go beyond the label and begin asking questions. Here are some of the things that you want to know when someone comes to you and drops a label on you. For example, I put these in question form. What are they doing? Okay, they got ADHD, fine. What are they doing? Number two, what do you perceive is happening inside of them? Three, what are they doing to others? Number four, why do you, why do you think they are doing those things? This is a productive conversation. And this solution to helping them is so simple that it gets lost. But isn't this the process I'm laying out for you to how we always do counseling, how we always do discipleship? For example, someone tells you that they're having marriage problems. You see, it doesn't matter 
they say they have a disorder or the next person says they have marriage problems, it's the same. What have they told you? I have, I have a disorder. What have they told you? Nothing. They say, I have a marriage problem. What have they told you? Nothing. And so what do you do? You ask more clarifying questions regardless of what they present to you. What are they doing? What do you perceive is happening inside of them? What are they doing to others? What do you think? Why do you think they're doing those things? The struggling couple begins to tell you, as you ask these types of questions, they begin to tell you about the arguments, the misunderstandings, the lack of confession, the broken promises, and the disappointments. And you begin to see the whole story inside and out. You know what is happening, and now you can help them biblically. Episode 221, when someone asks you to help with their disorder, do not fall for the intimidation effect. Look beyond what they are presenting to you and begin to explore what is very real, what is legit, what they are seeing, feeling, and experiencing by asking clarifying, clarifying questions. And I have a couple questions for you as I wrap up this podcast. Number one, the next time someone comes to you and drops an acronym on you, how will you respond? I would love for you to take this podcast or take the, the show notes that I have for episode 221, and you sit down and you walk through this episode with someone and then y'all talk to this question, uh, talk, then y'all respond to this question here. In fact, it would be good for you to role play. Perhaps you can take someone and, and, and they be the, the counselee in the scenario, and they come to you and they drop an acronym on you, and then you respond to them. Number two, what are some clarifying questions that would be helpful? This is what you want to do. And so you want to be, as you role play, then you want to begin to ask these questions. You want to begin to think up these questions. I gave you some general ones earlier. What are they doing? So they come to you and they say, I I have an acronym disorder. So you start out, well, what are you doing? Tell me what you are doing. And then what do you perceive is happening inside to them? So as they are telling you what they are doing, Then you begin to run that through a biblical filter, and maybe you'll start hearing things like addiction, lack of self-control, lust, a desire to control, self-righteousness, comfort, fear, unbelief. And so you begin to ask these clarifying questions, and now you have them in your mind. Do you know how? Do you know how? To not just listen to what they are saying but hear what is underneath their words. This kind of listening is what I call two-level listening. You're hearing what they are saying. You're not dismissing how they are saying it. In fact, how they are saying it is descriptive in itself because it tells you where they are and how they think about their problems. And so you're not just listening to what they're saying. You're doing two-level listening. You're also interpreting their words biblically while giving Well, you give only a courtesy nod to how they labeled it. Who cares? Who really cares? 
And when they don't give you enough information to understand the problem biblically, you ask more clarifying questions. And as you do that, now you are behind the presenting problem, and you're inside the person as they are explaining themselves or they are explaining someone else to you, and you're drawing them out. And as you do this, your mind will experience the Spirit's illumination as he guides you in the truth that that individual needs to hear. You remember what Jesus said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He also said in John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We have the perfect psychology book. It is the Word of God. And as you learn how to listen to people and run their words through that biblical filter, then you will become more adept at helping them. Now, if you want some help in this process, we, we have a couple of options for you that I would love for you to consider. We have a mastermind program, which is an all-online training course where I and my team trains our students in the, the art, the skill of doing discipleship, what some call biblical counseling. Honestly, it's, it's all the same, and don't get hung up on those words either, but you can learn how to disciple someone according to the gifting that the Lord has given you. And if you have the time and, and you want to devote it to getting this kind of skill to learn how to disciple others, I would encourage you to take a look at our Mastermind program. Now, you can do that by reading the information section on our website. Now, if you don't want to get the full car wash, which is what our Mastermind program is, perhaps then you would rather get my book, Change Me, The Ultimate Life Change Handbook. And I would encourage you to get that book and read it from cover to cover and read it again. Some people have read it as many as five times because it walks them through the change process. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.